I privilege to be with you guys this morning. Um, okay, so we're we're uh, we're in First Corinthians. Okay, First Corinthians chapter four. Um, and we're just going to keep moving along in First Corinthians. We've been doing it for a couple weeks now, and we'll be with it for for a few more months to come here still. So, uh, let me uh, let me pray for us real quick. Okay, all right, Heavenly Father, thank you for this for this morning and um, for us being together together. God, thank you for the privilege it is to meet together and to worship you in freedom, God. Uh, just invite your spirit to be among us and to help us to understand your word and to just, just shine your light on, on the word, God, and let us see Christ in it. And uh, just pray that, God, I'll be faithful to you and um, just help me speak clearly. And um, in your name, amen. Okay, well, really good to see everybody here. This is great. This is a great, nice, really nice full crowd here we got tonight, or this morning. Um, okay. <laughs> We're... Uh, let me read 1 Corinthians 4. Um, before I do, does anyone know, let me give you a phrase, this kind of older English phrase, party spirit. Have you ever heard that before? You might think party spirit is like, you go to a party on Friday night, you're the life of the party. Now that's, that's not what I'm thinking. Party spirit is like something, it's like, a, it's like you're factious. You want to be part of, um, you want your party, your group, your, your crowd to be the crowd that's the, the in crowd, and, and you want the other crowds to lose, and you want your crowd to, to win. This is a bit of what's happening in, in the Church of Corinth, and, and Paul's, uh, Paul's dealing with that, and uh, and the last chapter 3, um, it, it's, it's kind of a theme throughout the whole book. Um, and, and, and chapter 1, um, verse 11, it says, It's been rec- reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. And then, and then he spends the whole of chapter 3 talking about divisions in the church, um, and then um, he, he ends chapter 3 um, saying, uh, if anyone is to boast, don't let them boast in men. Let them boast in Christ. Um, you're Christ, and Christ is God's. So if you belong to Christ, there shouldn't be any divisions among us. Um, and it's like the, the Corinthian church that had this problem with, with uh, people having their favorite teacher, and, the, and, and they wanted their teacher to be the top guy, and and, um, and and some of these people were were uh, just arrogant in, in like how how sophisticated their rhetoric was and how they spoke and what words they used, um, and so that's that's kind of the problem that Paul's talking about. And so here he's going to give instructions about how to t- how to how really we should think about people like Paul and other servants like him, other apostles, other leaders in the church. So let me read let me read chapter four. Um, I'll go ahead and read the whole thing. So this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Um, It is the Lord who judged me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you do not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. 
We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When we're viled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with the love and a spirit of gentleness? Okay, so you see Paul, he's like kind of, he gets kind of harsh, and he, he, he's, he's tender with him at one point, he's harsh at the other. He gets a little bit ironic, or sarc- almost like sarcastic in a sense, in verses 8 through eight through 10. Um, we're going to unpack this here, okay? So Paul, Paul wants, to, he wants to tell people how to think about Christian leaders. This is how one should regard us, verse 1, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, so what, what's, a, what's a servant? A, a servant is someone here... It's like a picture of someone who's put in charge of a household. And you have this, this household in the ancient Greek world, and you have different servants, maybe slaves in the household, and the, the servant here is like the one that's in charge of all the other servants. But they're still a servant. It's not, it's not like a glamorous job. It's not the one you want to like, aspire to, I guess, in college, but um, it's a servant. You know, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a low, lowly job. And that's what Paul says he and the other apostles like him are. The people that are steward, stewards, um, that's the other picture. They're stewards of the mysteries of God. So they're servants and they're stewards. A steward needs to keep care, keep care of or something. Um, and the mysteries of God, what are the mysteries of God? It's not like it's a mysterious thing, like we can't figure it out or something, or I have to break this code. It's, it's a mystery is something that was once hidden in the past in some sense, and now is revealed. So it was hidden in the, in the past, but now is revealed. And what is the mystery? The mystery is, is the content of all, all the teaching about the life of Jesus himself, um, especially his crucifixion, his death on the cross for our sins. That's the mystery that's now been made known. It was in some sense hidden before. But now Paul and the apostles and other teachers in the church have this charge to, to make known that mystery. And that's, it's, like it's something that has to be stewarded. It's something that can be mishandled. If you, if you mishandled it, it then you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to be faithful to the, your charge as a, as a steward. If you get the gospel wrong, then, then you're not being a good steward of it. Um, so so that, that Paul says, this is how one should regard us, as servants, stewards of the mysteries of God. Don't regard us as like your, your, your team captain or something like that. You know, it's like you, you, you don't want red to win and black to lose or something. It's like you want... <laughs> You want, you, want, you want Jesus' team to win, and you want Jesus to be your team captain, not, not Paul or Apollos or whoever, you know, insert your favorite Bible teacher in there, I guess. Um, as, as, you know, but, okay, so uh, let's see here. So, you know, we're, um, we're entrusted with the mystery of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came into the world to seek and to save sinners. Um, and the other thing, too, that's the basis for any Christian leadership. There's no other basis for being a leader in the church. Uh, we like to invent reasons to be in charge of something, but 
the only real reason we have to be um, concerned with leadership or to aspire to leadership in the church is so that more people will hear about the gospel and more people will hear about Jesus. Um, that's, that's it. I mean, and, and, and we might think about different models of leadership. You know, here in the West, we have, like, the corporate model where the guy on top of the ladder, like, everyone else on the ladder has to do whatever he says, right? That's, and that, it's just his authority, and his, his word goes. But that's not, that's not how it is in the church. Um, um, or the democratic model where, like, we all take a vote, and whoever votes, you know, that's, that's what we're going to do. Like, we, don't, we can't really say that that's true in the church. We, we're charged with, with um, being faithful to the gospel, and, and insofar as we're faithful to the gospel, then, then we have legitimate authority. Um, Okay, now, let's keep on going here. Verse 2. Um, speed up a little bit, I guess. But Verse 2 it says, Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. It's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Who, who, or faithful. Another word, another word for trustworthy is faithful. Who, who, are, who are the servants supposed to be faithful to? Or, or the stewards? The stewards are supposed to be faithful to Jesus. And... And um, we're not supposed to win, like, church pop- popularity contests or anything like that. It's, we don't have those. Um, we need to be faithful to Jesus. And so he's going to say, say a little bit about judgment here in verses 3 and 4. He says, With me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. What does he mean that it's a small thing to be judged? He's just saying the, the judgment of Jesus, what Jesus thinks about me and his opinion about me, that's more important to me than whatever other folks say. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that other people's opinions and judgments aren't, are valuable. But in the final day, then there is a final day coming. It's Jesus' opinion that will be the most important. Um, he doesn't mean that we can't examine ourselves. We should examine ourselves. We should exercise self-discipline. Um, when, when Paul says, I do not even judge myself, like, my own opinion about myself doesn't even matter that much compared to Jesus. And I think, like, th- th- if you think about it, think about your service to, to Christ, okay? You, you might have a very high opinion about what you do. You, you, uh, you might be kind of puffed up a little bit. And God may not think as highly of your service as you do. Or the reverse could be true. You may not think very, very little of your service. And you, you may think that you don't amount to much of anything but God may see the reality of it, that you really are very, very important and very useful in the kingdom. God's judgment is more important than our own, or what other people say. Um, Paul says in verse 4, I'm not aware of anything against myself. So I, I don't really know that, I don't think I'm really in oh, sin right now. This is what Paul says. But I could be wrong. You know, my opinion isn't, isn't, doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me, the end of verse 4. And, um, and, uh, and, and again, the other thing too, judgment is important. We do have to evaluate people. We do have to like, look at the outcome of their life and see, like, is this person, is their conduct matching up with their words? And if you read ahead to next verse, or the next chapter, chapter 5, there's just this... There's this uh, Man in the church whose whose sin is just screaming for the church to judge them, and the church is not willing to judge the man. Um, so, so Paul definitely believes that judgment is important. But a few other principles. We'll go on to verse five. Principles of judgment, or how, how we evaluate. Paul says, "Don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness." Um, let, me, let me let me let me back up a little bit. Okay. 
one of the things about Christianity that's so wonderful is that we are supposed to be encouraging one another. You know, we're supposed to we're supposed to encourage each other. And when someone's feeling low, we're supposed to kind of lift lift their lift their drooping head, right? We're supposed to say encouraging words. And if someone's sad, we need to come beside them, uh, lift them up. When you do when you do good work, we should you know we're told to outdo one another in showing honor. So that's a great thing about Christianity, right? We can part of the church, part of the fellowship that we have, we need to encourage each other. That's, a, that's an important thing. Um, some, sometimes people like to give helpful advice to you. And, and maybe the advice is more, really, it's just kind of hidden criticism or hidden uh, you know, you know, negative judgments or something like that. So you just you kind of selectively ignore some of those things or you just, you know, um, you, 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 just, you just recognize, try, try to recognize when that's happening. But... Um, or on the on the flip side, you might have friends who, who's who who really want to stand beside you no matter what, and maybe they don't give you the criticism that you really need to 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 do a better job. So, all that to say, just listen to your friends, listen to godly reproof. You know, Pro- Proverbs says, you know, so if we if you receive advice well, it's like a mark of wisdom. You know that that a wise man hears reproof and he's wiser still. Um, but, the, but there comes a point where you just have to recognize the only performance review, the only final judgment that really matters is Jesus' judgment, right? Um, so, you know, if you're, if, you're one of, if you're like a self-righteous type of person who, you know, you might need to hear those verses in Scripture where Jesus says, you know, judge not lest you be judge yourself. Or with the measure that you measure others, it'll be measured to yourself. Like, you may need to hear those things and be more careful about how you criticize people. Um, or if you have poor judgment, if, if you just if your if your thinking cap is if you don't have a good track record of you know judging right from wrong, like be don't just follow the crowd, you know don't don't just follow the whatever the popular thing is to do, you know, um, and you need to follow scripture. Uh, and in in verse six, Paul says, I've, "I don't want," he says, I, "I don't want you to go beyond what is written," you know. The, Follow scripture, scriptural authority, um, and and don't don't just do whatever anyone else says or whatever the popular opinion about things are. Um, um, let me talk a little bit more about verse five here. Okay, Paul says, "Do not pronounce judgment before the time." So t- two things come out of this. Okay, if you're if you're looking at someone's life, the, the sum total of their life, we don't know the outcome of it. We don't know the end of the story of someone's life, um, but God does, right? So Paul says, um, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Some people who start their Christian life kind of slowly with half steps, and they may make a lot of mistakes at the beginning, um, you know, they may very well come to the end of the Christian walk with a flourish. You know, a little, they just might, they start off poor, but they come at the end, they're just strong. They're a strong follower of Jesus, and they do just like a little pirouette at the end, and and then it's like wonderful, just perfect dismount. You know, they they're faithful to the end. They they don't forsake Christ. Um, Jesus says, "Before the Lord, don't, don't pronounce judgment before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart." We don't know someone's inner workings of their heart, uh, and it may be that someone who's a really really gifted, very talented teacher, they may have crowds of people following them. It may be that their heart is full of arrogance. They may have ambition in their heart. And that's why all the people are following them, because they know how to work a crowd. You know, that may not be true of everybody, but God knows. And, and, and shouldn't the secret 
the secret thoughts of our hearts. So shouldn't that matter something before God? I mean, I think it should, but who can judge that? We can't even judge it ourselves. That's something only God can do. Only Jesus can do at the last day. Okay, I hope that um, hope that makes sense. And oh, another thing too, like some people who some people who would faithfully serve in the church, maybe, but don't get a lot of commendation from others. Maybe they just have setback after setback in their ministry or um, in their life. There's just one disappointment after the other. They may not be very talented. They may not be very gifted, but in their heart of hearts, they're just. They know, God, I'm a sinner, but I'm, I'm forgiven. You've forgiven me, God. Just, I'm here, let me be of your service, whatever way. Just the best way you want me to serve you, God. Even though I'm not very talented. Even though I didn't go to school. Whatever. Like, use me, God. Um, shouldn't that count for something? I think it should. Um, God does know the heart. Um, it's not for us to judge others in that, in that final sense. I think that's what Paul means when he says, don't pronounce judgment before the time. Um... And then the other really neat thing about verse 5, this is really remarkable. You know, when, it, when, when you're thinking about the last day, when God will bring every secret thing to the light and disclose the purposes of the heart, wouldn't that be his opportunity to, to, to give everybody their perfect rebuke? Because we've all made so many mistakes in life, you know? <laughs> but he says each one will receive his commendation from God, or each one will receive his praise. So I think that just means that God is... Um, God knows those who will serve him faithfully, and, and he'll praise him. He'll praise those people. I think Paul has this verse here because God's, God's a loving father. He knows that we need, like a loving father, he, he knows that we need encouragement from time to time. And we know, like, at the end of the day, if we're faithful to God, it's not going to be a time for us to have all the bad things heaped on us. God's going to praise us at that time for, his, for our faithfulness to Jesus. Um, so I hope, hope that encourages you a bit there. We want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if we've been faithful, we'll hear that. Of course, we'll make mistakes. I mean, I think of so many mistakes I've made, and you can read, you can read the church history all the mistakes that some some people have made. But, but, um, but we know we have forgiveness in Jesus. So let's be faithful to Him. All right, we're gonna we're gonna keep on going. Um, um, verses six through seven. Um, now, everything I just said, Paul says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So Paul was a well-known teacher. Apollos was a well-known teacher in the church. He says, everything I've just said, look, this is true of me and Apollos as well, okay? So we are going to stand before Jesus, and, and we should be counted as servants and stewards. Don't think of us as like your team captain that you want your team to win, right? He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So he's trying to get the Corinthians to stop having this party spirit, like I said earlier, this factionalism. There are divisions in the church. Um, uh, so, and, and, and so Paul says a lot about leadership here, about the leaders like himself and Apollos, but it's for their benefit as well. And so he, he's not just talking about things that are only true of leaders. He, it's true of every one of us. Because leaders are not like a special class or a special type of Christian. Whatever is true of any Christian should be true of the leaders, but it's, it's true of everyone as well. Um, so, and, and, and when he gets into like how, to, how you judge somebody or how you evaluate somebody, when he says in verse 6, I don't want you to go beyond what is written, what does go beyond what is written mean? I think that means like just kind of keep your finger on the text and don't go beyond what Scripture says. Don't add to it or take away from it. Don't take, a, don't take away from Scripture. Don't add to Scripture. 
and you have to interpret scripture the right way. You know, the normal rules of grammar apply when you're trying to when you're trying to understand scripture. Um, don't make it say something it doesn't. Read scripture in context. All those kind of things. So, um, and um, and then and then another thing too. Like if if the, if the Corinthians were to do this, if they were only to use scriptural bases for for judging people, then they wouldn't have the factionalism. Folks would be humble. Um, how can you boast about something when when you realize that it's it's God's grace that we have leaders in the church? Um, and so, so here in verse 7, he says, Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you do not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So he's saying, look, you Corinthians, everything you have, you have lots of good things. You have great spiritual gifts happening in your church. It's evident. The word of God has come to you in power. It's, it's been demonstrated in you. Um, but you didn't make that. God made that. God put all that together. Um, he used you. You're his instrument. So why boast? Why would you boast about your leaders? Um, or boast about yourselves and, and be arrogant. If you're going to boast, you know, boast in God. Take pride that you take pride in God. <laughs> Nothing else besides that. Okay. Um, we'll keep on going. Um, so as we, as we go to verses eight through thirteen, Paul's going to Paul's going to get into this bit of a. Uh, he's going to become really ironic here because. If you stack up the things like the life that Paul's leading and the other people that are with him, and 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 line it up with what the what kind of lifestyle the Corinthians are leading, oh, it's just like night and day. Um, Paul's going to say that true true ministry sometimes involves suffering, unjustly suffering, and any any Christian leader could tell you about this reality. Life is just for the most part. If you're if you aspire to leadership in the church, it's just life is for the most part terrible. And people who sign up for, for it as a full-time job are just a little bit crazy, right? So, um, I mean, there's, there's good and positive things that outweigh that. But, but, um, but, if it, but Paul wants to take this triumphalistic attitude that the, that the Corinthians have and, and, um, and put them in place. So here, here's what he says. Um, he, he says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you become king. So he's saying that um, Paul, because he shared the gospel with the Corinthians, they have all these good things. Um, and then he says, look at us in verse 9. I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we become a, set, a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. So th- th- he's going through so much suffering that it seems like he's kind of like the guys that are condemned to death, and they go to the Colosseum in the Roman, you know, in the Roman world. They, the people that were condemned to death, they would, um, they would send them to the Colosseum, be exposed to wild animals, and just for the entertainment of the crowds. Paul's saying be, being an apostle is kind of like that. Like you're just, you're just a spectacle to people, and, um, and, and they're like fools for Christ's sake. He doesn't mean that the message of the cross is foolish, but it's, I mean, not the preaching is foolish, but that the message is, it sounds crazy to people. Like why would you believe in a God who was, who was crucified? And, 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 you, and you hold that up as like the best part of your religion, that, that God was crucified on your behalf. And um, well, yeah, that sounds crazy, but that's what we—that's really is what we believe. And and um, and and so he, he says, "We're fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ." Now, now Paul's being ironic because if these people, if the Corinthians really were in charge, if they really were reigning, they wouldn't have arrogance among them. They they wouldn't have they wouldn't have the factionalism. Um, 
Paul goes on, verse 11, he says, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed, um, buffeted. I think that means they're, they're beat up and they're, they're homeless. Um, he just goes on and he's giving a laundry list of his sufferings. Um, he, says, he says, they labor, they work with their own hands. Um, when people are mean to them, they're nice back. That's hard to do, right? When we're vile, we bless. Um, and uh, so, and it just kind of culminates here in verse 13. He says, when slandered, we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul's really just heaping on this, this, all these sufferings and hardships. He says he's basically like, when he says he's the scum of the world, the refuse of all things, it's just like the word there is just like the most earthy, earthy kind of vulgar um, language you can, you can imagine. It's, it's, it probably was a very vulgar term for them to, for them to think of uh, Paul as the scum of the world. Um, but that, he says that's what it's like. You know, we're, we're, treated, we're treated harshly as, as leaders. Um, so, so how, you know, how can you line that up with the Corinthians' um, arrogance? Like, it's just it's a total mismatch. Um, and and again, I want to say that there are wonderful things of being part of Christian leadership. Okay, when you're in ministry, you see people's lives change. You see, you know, people fall in love and get married. You know, they they stop using drugs. Reconciliation happens between people. Like those are wonderful joys that make all the hardships worthwhile. And Paul knows that those, those things are more positive than the sufferings. Um, remember, too, a, a couple things. We follow a crucified Messiah, Messiah, right? Jesus suffered, so we should expect to suffer ourselves. Um, we do have these wonderful things in Christ. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the Spirit of God. We have heaven to come, so we have that to look forward to. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we're told to take up our cross daily. It's like die to ourselves, die to self-interest. And the problem with the Corinthians is, is that they were kind of like being self, they were, they were promoting themselves, they were being condescending to others, they were judging others. But you can't simultaneously do that. You can't, you can't be condescending to someone and look down on them and then tell people that they need to worship a God who was crucified and who has suffered himself. So we need to go low like Jesus went low. Um, and all of us, all of us are called to suffer at some point. We're not supposed to seek out suffering, but it may happen. And if you do suffer, it doesn't mean you've messed up or done something wrong. It means you've probably been faithful to Jesus. Um, ooh, okay, all right. Let's let's go on 14 through 21. Okay, so so here Paul's going to take a little bit more of a positive tone with the Corinthians, and he wants to encourage them. Um, and 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 he's going to show how. Paul has this like spiritual relationship with the Corinthians, and he's like a father to many of them. Many of them he, he, he guided in, in the faith. Um, and he says here, when he says, though you have countless guides, in verse 15, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. In the ancient Greek world, um, if you had a, um, if, in the first century, if you were a family, the children, if they were to go to, to school, they probably would be, there would be a household servant that would be in charge of making sure the child was uh, got to school safely. Um, he was kind of in charge of their education, made sure they got back home. Um, that person would be like a guardian or a guide for the child. And there may be more than one of those in a, in a, in a household, but each, each child would have at least one guardian that was responsible for them. But the, the guardian was like a servant, and the guardian would not take the place of a father. Only the father in the household would have... You, you can only have one father, right? So 
um, there's, nothing to, there's nothing to replace a father, but a guide or a guardian is very helpful. So Paul says in verse 15, Though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's reminding them that Paul helped plant the Corinthian church. And, um, and then he says, I urge you, then be imitators of me. Um, so Paul holds himself out as like this kind of ultimate example. Uh, and, and he makes it more clear in 1 Corinthians 11, just this quick verse from 1 Corinthians 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul imitates Christ. We imitate Paul imitating Christ. And that happens down through the church ages. And we imitate um, the people that have gone before us. We imitate the good in their lives. And we see the outcome of their way of life and how, um, how they imitated Christ. Um, another thing, too, this is the role of fathership. Um, it's, it's hard for us to... We, we don't get this so much here, here now, nowadays, but like um, a, a child would normally follow their father into the same profession, right? Um, if a father was a baker, the son would learn to be a baker. If the father was a, you know, whatever, a stonemason, the, the son would normally take up the same line of work from the father. Um, so Paul says, you don't have many fathers. You need someone to lead you into the ways of Christianity. Um, Christianity is not just about having the right beliefs. It's about your conduct and your behavior. And you have to learn that from someone. It, you can only learn so much from a book. Um, you need someone to, to guide you. So Paul says in verse 17, That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child of the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. So even though Paul is writing them a letter, there's some things he can't communicate in a letter, and he needs to send Timothy as well. Um, he says, To remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Okay? Um, and... Uh, so Paul's talking about the importance of, of having a, someone to guide you and be like a mentor. Um, and the thing, too, about conduct and behavior. Like I, I said the Christian is not just about your beliefs, but it's about how you act in your life. And, and are, does your conduct match up with your words? Are you a faithful, ethical person? Um, you know, in, in the ancient world, many people could be very religious, right? But, but their religion didn't carry over much into their ethics and how they, how they, how they demonstrated... Um, morality in their lives. Um, so, so Paul says, like, the, your mentors need to be people that are godly. They need to have a, have a godly character. Um, and so it's, it has a really important application for us, too. Like, how many of us would want to say, look at my life? If you want to know what being a Christian is like, look at me and how I live my life. Like, that's, a, that's basically what Paul is saying. And, and, and if, if, if an unbeliever or someone who wasn't brought up in the church was, were to follow you around, like, what would they see? Would, would they see you being faithful to God? Would, would, would they see you forgiving people? Would they see what it means to know how to be forgiven? Like, like would they see you mess up and then know, like, oh, gosh, God, you know, forgive me? Um, or would they see you struggling against sin? Um, that's, a, that's an important question. Because we should be able to tell people, look at my life. And, 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 if, and if you hesitate, you know, if you hesitate to tell someone that, like, make a list of those things in your life that you need to work on. I mean, just examine yourself. Then look at Christ. <laughs> examine yourself for a little bit, but look at Christ to see what, see what the solution is. Okay, there's, there's that. Okay, so being a Christian is not just believing the right things. Um, I've, I've benefited from many examples in, in my life as well, godly men that I've looked up to, and I just, I'm so grateful for them. But, um...
you know, so, sometimes people just were never taught the basics of the faith, or maybe they forgot them. They need somebody to remind them. So Paul sends Timothy, my faithful and beloved child, to remind them. Okay, um, now, um, that's, that was Paul being kind of gentle, okay? So I, like a father is gentle with his children. Um, now a father has the right, as a father, he can switch into harsher terms if he needs to. And so um, Paul says in verse 18, Some people are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. Apparently there were some people in the Corinthian church who were banking on Paul's absence. They were like, oh, if Paul shows up, we're going to be in trouble. Right? Okay. But um, so, so some people are arrogant. But Paul says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. He can't say when exactly, but, um, but when he comes, he says, I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Okay, um, what would Paul mean by the power of these people? Okay, so um, the power of Christianity, there's, there's two ways. The power of Christianity lies in one, changed lives, okay? Uh, you believe in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and your life changes. You give up sin, you take on righteousness, you start living a righteous life. Um, that shows the power of Jesus. It shows the power of the Holy Spirit active in your life and that you have eternal waters living within you. You have living waters living inside of you. Um, but an arrogant person who's just like trained in like fancy words and rhetoric and, and they just put on these ornate speeches, like that doesn't really change people's lives. There's not, there's not power in that. So, so Paul's going to find out what's happening um, in the church. Now, there could be another sense, and this is a little bit scary. Um, there could be another sense that Paul's talking about power here. Um, again, in the next chapter, we'll talk about this next, next week, um, but like I said, there was a man in the Corinthian church who was guilty of incest. He was, he was um, just in this sexual sin that even the pagans, Paul says, were, didn't approve of it. Paul's like, okay, you got this guy, he's like, He's causing the young Christians to throw up. Like, you can't have him in your church, okay? Like, you just can't have that. Um, and so I command you, he, he tells the Corinthians to hand him over to Satan. He wants, them, he wants them to excommunicate this man because his sin is just so blatant and so out of step with, with the church that the, he needs to hand him over um, to Satan. And that seems like the power that Paul's saying needs to be exercised here. And that if the Corinthian church is not going to hand the man over to Satan, then Paul will come and he will do it himself. So that could be an allusion to the type of power he has. Um, he, he talks elsewhere about Hymenaeus and Alexander, who have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Um, so that, that could be what Paul's referring to. So that he could be more severe. I, I don't know exactly which one he's referring to there in verse 19, but one of those two. Regardless, he says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. That's verse 20. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Again, not just highfalutin rhetoric, but just changed lives, demonstrated in, like when people repent and come to Jesus. Like that's God's power. Um, so Paul says, "What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness?" Um, Paul loves the Corinthian church, and regardless of whether Paul comes gently or if he comes with a rod, he still loves them. It doesn't mean if he comes with a rod or a whip that he doesn't love them. His his love should just be be evident to them at this point. But Paul knows that like. Faithfulness to Christ, that's the most important thing. It's more important to be faithful to Jesus. And, um, and if you need to be reproved by Paul, 
either gently or more harshly, it's more important that you get that reproof and that you be, and that you be faithful to Jesus as opposed to unfaithful. So I just, there, there we go. That's, that's 1 Corinthians 4. Um, just a, a couple things. Remember, um, we follow Jesus. We follow a crucified Savior. And, and we, we need to know that um, we, we may face suffering in this world. Um, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's, that's our method. That's our strategy. Our strategy is Jesus and the cross. And, and we count on that. We don't count on um, marketing strategies or, or different leadership scenarios, I guess, that we have in the business world. Like, we count on Jesus and the cross and, and the message that if you believe in Him and that if you have your... If you know you have your sins forgiven in Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you have, then you have power in your life. That's our message, and that's that's what Paul wants us to hear. Um, so, have you been changed? I guess that's that's kind of like my final question. Like, have you been changed by the power of the gospel? Have you experienced that power in your life? Um, and Paul tells us too, like you don't have to suffer just like Paul suffered. You don't have to go and plant churches in a distant land. Um, you may not suffer the same way that he did, but we should have the same values that Paul had. We should demonstrate in our lives the exclusivity of the cross and the and and, and, of, and of the gospel. So, that's that's all I've got. Um, we're gonna we're gonna remember Jesus some, um, in the in the Lord's Supper here. So, uh, we invite you to take that if you if you have believed in Jesus, Remember him. Remember him that his body was broken for you, represented in the bread, and his blood was shed for you, represented in the cup. Um, let me pray for us, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus and for his, for his example to us and for Paul's example to you, God. Um, we pray for many more people to step into leadership in the church and to, and to be... Um, just faithful to you, God, and, and mentoring others and leading others and inviting them um, into the faith to, to come to church and to hear your word. Um, and we just, we just know, God, that in that is power. As, as people believe in you, as people um, accept Jesus into their lives and, and receive the Holy Spirit, we'll see lives change, we'll see repentance happen, and we'll see people living in righteousness. We pray that more of that happens, God. Uh, and we just invite your spirit to be with us the rest of this time. Um, and uh, we love you, God. We look forward to worshiping you now. And we look forward to heaven when we'll be with you. In your name, amen.